Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 120. This is the Super Bowl edition. Today we have a news and notes on the Super Bowl. And we're going to deep dive into some of the craziness surrounding the internet and uh, virtue signaling as it is in today's society in 2022. So stay tuned. Put your trade tables up. Buckle your seatbelts. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you will get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Let's go Super Bowl week, Partha. The, the, the most expensive, the shiniest, the brightest, the loudest week in America. This is American ostentatiousness uh, displayed in full effect is the Super Bowl, the most watched program in the world, um, which showcases why there are so much money surrounding it. But yet uh, the storyline um, is just as much about the two teams playing on the field and their stories um, as it is um, the hoopla and the event um, that the Super Bowl is. And I think we should probably dig into both of those things, right? Um, they both make for interesting storylines. Let's let's start with the more straightforward one first, which is what's happening on the football field. Um, I think in sports, what we look for is there are tons of storylines, right? Both team storylines, individual storylines. Um, how do you get to almost the mountaintop, right? The final battle, um, between two teams and two very different cultures, right? And you look at what the Los Angeles Rams are and you look at what the Cincinnati Bengals are um, and how they've gotten to where they've gotten. Um, and I think that's that's a good place to start, right? Like in business and in life, there's no one way um, to put yourself in position to be great. Um, if you look at what the Rams have done, um, starting with their owner, uh, Cronky left left the the fans of St. Louis behind because he saw the economic opportunity in the Los Angeles market. Built the most expensive five and a half. I still can't believe that this thing cost five and a half billion dollars. Built a five and a half billion dollar stadium, and the team itself is just built by sacrificing building a culture and organization and buying one. Right, like that's yeah. traditionally what we see with teams the two strategies can we get there very quickly or can we build there organically and when the rams case they've taken the build it they will come approach and hey it's worked they've been in two super bowls in the last four years um and they're here now and yeah. look at <laughs> and i'll you know i gotta say too the last one didn't feel so much like the build it they will come approach it felt like really just a, a more like the Bengals run this year, to be honest. It felt more yeah. organic. It was Sean McVay's kind of like first real major outing as like a real quality coach. He was, you know, that was when we, we got to see what kind of a mind he was on the football field, and we saw his shortcomings as well. And I think this time around, one side uh, of the Rams story that I'm really intrigued by is the redemption side for Sean McVay, um, especially seeing him beat Mike Shanahan, who he hadn't beaten yet in the conference championship. That was a really, really cool um, kind of narrative for me to, to keep track of. Yeah. And the truth is when you push your chips all in, right, in poker, you have to decide 
Um, That's why I love this game so much. There's the point you have to decide whether or not you're willing to push all your chips to the middle. And a lot of people don't win in poker in life because they don't know when to do that. Um, The unfortunate side of pushing all in is if you lose, the feeling is pretty terrible. Um, And if the Rams do not win a Super Bowl um, with everything that they've done um, to get here, um, there's, there's literally no other outcome that can be pleasing to the fan base. It's not the same as the Cincinnati Bengals story, which we'll get to. Um, but this is kind of the, the David versus Goliath story in a lot of ways, because you look at what the Rams have done this year. They added Von Miller. They added Odell Beckham. They have added Jalen Ramsey. They've got Cooper cup, the best receiver in the NFL. They've got everything that you Matt Stafford Matt Stafford like they've literally got everything um Aaron Donald obviously who's somebody yeah. that they drafted and groomed um it's just a it's just a crazy crazy collection of talent and stories and what you expect them to win right yeah do you see any other outcome no but you flip that to the Cincinnati Bengals and this is what makes sports so fascinating right this is an organization that has been stepped on shit on for years and years the ownership group the fans included have questioned every single one of their decisions every single one of the along the entire journey um they have not made it to a super bowl since they made it and got stopped by san francisco 30 some years ago nor have they had a playoff win suddenly they built a culture. They hired a coach. They stuck with that coach. They drafted and got to a point where they drafted a truly game-changing quarterback. Um, and they went from zeros at the start of the season. Everybody was expecting the Browns, Ravens, and Steelers with the Bengals to finish last in their division, not even qualify for the playoffs. And now they're sitting in the Super Bowl. And you see the culture too, right? It's a very blue collar culture. If you look at the Bengals outside of Joe Burrow, you're not looking around saying, Hey, this is a box office team. It's very blue collar culture, um, very Midwest culture. And they got here through hard work and being the underdog. And so it's, it makes for a great story. Absolutely. You know, with the, with the Bengals, I think I'm with you on the David versus Goliath, but I think this is one of those situations where, they may look like that on paper, but I don't think the Rams are really standing up to that reputation of a Goliath in terms of their play. And I think this is something we talked about a little bit last week. But when you look at the Rams, you're right. Look at all the talent they have. Look at all the names they have. Yet they continue to you know, barely win these games to, to get themselves in this position. And you look at the Bengals and you just see an energy, a joy and a happiness with the game of football that allows every player to kind of elevate beyond where they were. And at the end of the day, Odell really balled out this last game. So this, that would be the exception to what I'm about to say. But when I watched the Rams every close game, it was get the ball to cup and let's see what we can do here. Right. And with the Bengals, it was get the part to chase, get the ball to chase. And, you know, it's always been that quarterback receiver combo now we started to see last week Odell play a significant role in the closeout minutes of the game. And I think that is where it's going to get really tough 
for the Bengals is that there's so many threats on the Rams that are all these stars that know how to make big plays in the big moments. That's what's going to be challenging when they get into the game is that these are, while may, may, many of them have not won a Super Bowl ring before, they've all been a part of big games. They've all handled a lot of pressure before, and I think that that gives them a little edge here. But at the same time, you just you just can't bet against Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, and the truth is the biggest storyline is not, it's easy to look at Cooper Cup and look at Jamar Chase, look at the stars, Odell Beckham. But the truth is this game is going to be won and lost by the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line versus the Rams defensive line. It has been the glaring weakness for the Cincinnati Bengals all season long. Joe Burrow has been able to overcome it, but not without bumps and bruises along the way. And you're dealing with a defensive line with two Hall of Fame pass rushers in Von Miller and Aaron Donald, not to mention Leonard Floyd, who is a pro bowler in his own right. That is going to be a lot of pressure on this young offensive line to step up and protect Joe Burrow and give him the opportunity uh, to play well. And then also, I think the advantage that the Bengals have is that they have a true workhorse heart in Joe Mixon. Um, They are much better run blocking than they are pass protecting. Um, And they could wear down this defensive line if they can get Joe Mixon going and, and get him to get going downhill. Um, combining that with, with, with Pirine. Um, but I also think, you know, the, the, don't be surprised if the Bengals give the Rams some trouble on the defensive side, they don't have the same star power, but these guys, as you said, they play as a unit, they believe in each other. And a lot of them have experience playing with each other, um, and winning together. Uh, they've yeah. got three star players that played at Ohio state and were on the national championship team. And, and knowing all three of those guys and the character that they bring to the game, Von Bell is, is literally one of the smartest football players I've ever met. Um, and, and the same goes for Sam Hubbard and Eli Apple. These are guys that have played together. They've won together. Um, and, and in addition to that, um, like you said, they have something going there in terms of the energy that they bring. It's the power, the whole idea of the power of the unit is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Seems to be the storyline here. As much as it is David versus Goliath, you look at the Rams, they have a bunch of like really, really awesome parts, but they just seem to be thrown together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that's highly accurate. And, And one of the other things that stands out to me about this game is, Um, You have you mentioned the offensive line issues with the Bengals Um, with Matt Stafford. You have the quarterback who's averaging the most interceptions per game as well. This is actually the first time that the quarterback with the most interceptions per game is playing against the quarterback with the most sacks per game in a Super Bowl, which is, first of all, hilarious. But second of all, it also goes to show that you can probably expect if you're the Bengals to be able to get one, maybe two picks in this game. And so if you win the game of turnovers, you you put yourself in a great position to win this win this ball game. Yeah, it's so easy to forget, like when a team makes the Super Bowl, to forget how lucky they are to be there. Literally, yeah. Matt Stafford threw the ball right into 49ers players' hands, and he just dropped it twice. Um, I think right once, once the once other side, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing, you know, it's 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 interesting that you bring up Matt Stafford because. 
a lot of ways he is this is a redemption story for him and Odell Beckham but this Matt Stafford thing this is a guy when you look at his numbers and you look at his clutch performance literally he was being held back by playing for the worst one of the worst organizations of all time to go to the Rams despite the the turnover thing um, you've gotten a chance to see what he's capable of when you put a guy with talent with the right pieces, the right offensive coordinator, the right players around him beyond just literally in, 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 in Detroit it was just like Matt Stafford, throw the ball to Calvin Johnson as many times as you can. You're, <laughs> you're, you're the, the, the pride of Georgia tech, Calvin Johnson uh, as many times as you can and hope for the best. And if you looked at, I always felt like he got a bad rap because they made the playoffs a few times. Um, but the flip side is that he is a gunslinger. And as a result, you will see these turnovers. You know what I mean? So it's like he's a gift and a curse. Um, whereas with Joe Burrow, you're dealing with somebody who's just slow and steady, um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, um, and just seems to put a calming presence with everyone around him. That's a, um, that's the thing is like the confidence, the cool that he brings onto the field. I mean, I I just I can't remember the last time I've seen somebody with this level of calm at this young of an age. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think we're both rooting for the Bengals to win this thing. I think uh, mainly because of Joe Burrow um, and because of other Buckeyes Buckeyes on the team and it being a great storyline for Cincinnati. But I think it's also it's easier to root for the Bengals um, in this scenario than it is the Rams for a variety of reasons. Yeah. I think even, even for, you know, there's not a lot of Rams fans out there, let's be honest. But if, you know, if you are a Rams fan, I think this is, this is a fun one for you as well, just because yes, you have a lot of the star players, but this is a lot of star players who needed the redemption moment. Like seeing Odell work on this redemption story. I was watching this, interview of Cooper Cup who you know now has become uh, a star in the league but I, I I didn't realize I was reading some comments from some folks that went to school with him um, he used to wear like ankle weights to class he used to do all this like little stuff to give himself the edge and and really put in that work and so it's you know it's easy to dislike certain players or or any of that, but I think when you get down to the core of each one of these guys, they put their whole life into this game, and so for all of them, this is you know it's an opportunity to achieve a milestone that very few people get the opportunity to even take a shot at, and I think that that in itself is something to be celebrated. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, getting to the other storyline of the Super Bowl is money. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of it. We started by saying, first of all, I, I still can't believe that that stadium was five point five billion dollars, and that Welcome was to uh, LIV. I know, I know. <laughs> and not the only state, that, the state but... can't the state can't afford anything else, and the city can't keep itself up, but they can they can afford to spend five point five billion dollars of of money on a stadium. That's Very the easy. irony of of LA itself is that you've got all this money there and you've got probably one of the worst homeless problems in the country. Yeah. You know? And it's like that shouldn't happen in, in a well-run city. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And it, it goes to show priorities, you know, one of the more frustrating things Chad Ochocinco tweeted out an image um of of one of those ticket 
um, sites with the stadium with all the ticket prices. The cheapest ticket, single ticket to get into this game is $6,000. Wow. And, you know, for years and years, the Super Bowl is not, people think the Super Bowl is like America's game, but it's not. It's America's corporate game. Fans have been priced out of this thing for years. Um, and it's just big business corporate dollars. And it shows to me more than anything, the underlying problem with American culture of wastefulness at the corporate level, right? You, you, you contrast that with the homeless problem that exists. The people who are buying these tickets are corporations buying corporate seats, entertaining clients, doing it for reasons other than to watch the game. Bengals fans, the average Bengals fan is priced out. They can't go to this game. They can't afford to take their kid to this game. And it's a sad contrast because at one hand, you understand that we live in a capitalist society. This is the biggest event. Everything around it, as a result, the prices are going to be higher. From the Super Bowl commercials, the cost of the Super Bowl commercials, the cost of the tickets, the cost of everything that goes with the Super Bowl, and you contrast that with the reality of what this sport is supposed to represent, it's kind of troubling um, in many ways. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that when you look at not just sports, but all entertainment, even music concerts and uh, all the like, prices have been rising, you know, in my opinion, much, much faster than um, they should if if it was based on fan and, you know, fan engagement. I think this just indicates a few things. But number one, it indicates that a lot of firms, a lot of corporations are collecting a lot of money. And rather than put that money into, you know, whatever it might be, employees or, you know, benefits or, you know, whatever other things they could be investing in, they think, you know, it's the most effective way to use it to buy these ridiculously expensive tickets to events. Yeah. And write it off under the business. And I think it shows two things. I think first it shows that people understand taxes at a yeah. decent level in this country. <laughs> yeah. And that's not that's not a great system if it's incentivizing you to buy all your entertainment through your company because it just allows uh, essentially like this wealthy elite class to form that buy everything tax-free through their corporations and everybody else works for them. So there's that side of it. Um, But then the other side is, you know, it's exactly what you said is that as a fan, that's frustrating. If you can't go see your team, like the Super Bowl was never like the most affordable thing in the world, but yeah, at least it was something that fans used to be able to go to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you justified the price um, and you could have the experience. And I look at the average diehard, long-lasting fan of an NFL franchise, right? The people that really make this thing go, that allow the team to get the tax dollars, the tax money to, to build new stadiums, that allow them to fill their stadium every week. These are people who work hard every single day. And when they spend their money to go to a football game, they feel the pain of it, whether that's $75 or it's $5,000, right? And when people feel the pain of a $75 ticket, how can you even with a straight face say, hey, by the way, you can't come to your this moment that you've been waiting 30 some years for you watch the game every Sunday. You're the reason that, that, that the NFL is able to generate 
millions of dollars in ad revenue because you're the people who are tuning in every single Sunday to the Bengals, whether they're 0 and 16 or 16 and 0. You're doing that. And then when the moment comes, by the way, you don't matter anymore. That's that's the troubling part of this. Yeah. Um, because yeah, they you know, and it's 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 frustrating to see and also makes for a lot of these Super Bowl games are not very good games because they're not about the game anymore. You know, and you mentioned something to me yesterday about, you know, you were in a group text and somebody was talking about Drake's Super Bowl party and they want a hundred thousand dollars for, for a, a table of six. And and mind you, this is a hundred Table of twelve. I'll correct that. Table of twelve, but still ridiculous. To to go to a club, drink alcohol, and watch Drake perform. No, no, he's not. He's not performing. He's just hosting. It's his party. He's going to show up for fifteen minutes at the end, probably stand on a stage where people can see him, get a mic, and say how happy he is and how grateful he is, and he's going to leave. And he's going to come away with millions of dollars that all these people spent to get the Instagram video saying that they were partying with Drake. Yeah. What is wrong with our priorities <laughs> today? And on the other side with the stadiums, too, it's like, what? I never understood why do cities build stadiums? You know, if you look at all of the rationale for cities giving wealthy folks or wealthy corporations tax breaks, it never pays itself off. It's not a mechanism that makes any sense for how cities are constructed. But, you know, when you when you look at the outcome, it just creates division and it creates a, ultimately like all of the tax dollars, like you said, from the people who work for these corporations or work for whatever jobs to keep the society running, all of those dollars go to creating experiences they can't afford. Yeah. That's irony. Yep. Yep. And to, to line the pockets of of owners because every single if you look at the value of every single nfl franchise it's almost doubled or tripled in the last decade um, and it's interesting but it also i mean you we can complain about it but i think it, there's also a valuable lesson here in understanding you know i had to i had to go through this dilemma multiple times because i have been part of putting together some of these ostentatious super bowl events which people pay thousands of dollars to get into. I've seen it, and I understand sometimes that some of this is a product of society. A lot of people aren't even thinking, right? They're not thinking about, is this right or wrong? Is this a morally correct thing to do? They're just doing it, you know? And when you're a part of it and you're part of making money, you're thinking about the money, and you're like, okay, I can put together a cool event, make a lot of money. And that's kind of what, you know, seeing both sides of this is on one hand, you can be pissed off at it and pissed off at the wrong people. You can say, oh, the billionaire owner. But there are multitude of reasons societally and collectively in which we all can be blamed for this being prioritized to this level. Yeah. there, And, you know, just to add, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with hosting an event. But it's the market that dictates the prices. Yes. That we as a society value these events to the extent that people I know are willing to pay 100K for 12 seats to, to try and be near Drake. It's ludicrous to me. It just shows how much we value everything that's not real in life. Yeah. Yeah. 
puts a button on it. With that said, I'm going to enjoy watching the Super Bowl with my overpriced cable s- subscription, not, not spending thousands of dollars for a ticket, but we'll definitely have a good time with uh, my family and friends watching the yeah, game. And I'm looking here. forward to that without spending all these crazy dollars. Yeah, I'm hosting a little party. Let's go, Bengals. Let's go. Who they? Who they? Who they? Um, and on the other side of this, we'll we'll talk a little uh, a little deep dive cancel culture. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. And we're back with a deep dive. Arthur, you text me this morning, uh, uh, talking about this, so I'll let you do the intro. <laughs> so, <laughs> for our audience, I don't just sit there and bitch all day on text messages. I only <laughs> do that for the for about half the day. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were texting about um, a really funny tweet that I saw on Reddit, and I sent it to V, and it was referencing the Joe Rogan stuff. So, for those of you who are not aware. Everyone was wanting to cancel Joe Rogan the last few weeks. Uh, first, it was because of what he was talking about on his podcast. And so Neil Young boycotted Spotify because he wasn't happy that they were hosting Joe Rogan. And then um, they added content advisories to his media. He put out a little apology. And then somebody cut together this reel from his old podcast of him saying the N-word. And he came out with an apology on that as well, essentially saying, hey, like that was something I thought was OK at the time. <laughs> now I realize it's not OK, as we should all know. And uh, he got uh, kind of like a second wave of, of people upset at him for that. Now, it was interesting because a lot of uh, a lot of folks came out in defense of him saying he's not a racist. He's just like a dude who was, you know, just just didn't really know his his limits or whatever. And so it was like an interesting conversation that's been going on the last few days. But somebody pointed out um, on Twitter that Bill Cosby has all this stuff on Spotify and they're focusing all their energy on Joe Rogan. And then another tweet says, R. Kelly, who is found guilty of trafficking underage girls as young as 14 for sex, is also still on Spotify. And that kind of brings us to today's discussion topic, which is why do we just arbitrarily choose which person to cancel to such strong degree and you know gang up on them to such a point 
that it becomes an irrational position. You know what I mean? It's like you can go you can go cancel whomever you want. You can you can choose not to listen to whomever you want, but canceling, you know, and cancel culture itself is like when your desire to disagree with what someone goes to such an extent that you're literally going out of your way to try and threaten their livelihood like they did with the baby like like you do with like like it happened to Aziz Ansari honestly and you look back and it's like what is the purpose of going for somebody's livelihood to such a strong degree to try and crush any ability they have to make a living in this society well, so the answer is very simple: is that um, human beings suck. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to say that, that yeah. it's our deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason human beings suck is is this: is that we don't ever want to look in the mirror, and it's easier for us to find. And and part of this is probably driven by media and how we've been psychologically brainwashed to think like this. We feel better finding external sources to criticize than we do looking in the mirror and criticizing ourselves and focusing on how we can get better. It's easier to say, hey, that person needs to get better. That person is a problem than it is to say, what are my problems? What do yeah. I need to fix? And the other part of this is the obsession with having and being entertained. This is all a product of the fact that we want to be entertained all the time, 24-7 in America. We want to be entertained on Twitter, hearing each other's opinions. We want to be entertained by Spotify, listening to music all day. We want to be entertained by TV, watching TV shows all day. We want to be entertained by NFTs, looking at NFTs all fucking day. And yeah. as a result of that, none of us are being very effective with our own lives. And as a result, we're internally unhappy. So it makes it easier to point out the flaws in someone else because it gives us a little bit of boost in self-esteem. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what virtue signaling is, you know. It's interesting because when you look at uh, a lot of the folks that do it, it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of, of witch hunts in uh, Salem back in the day where it's like you're looking for something that somebody has, some character trait that makes you uncomfortable, that you dislike. And usually if that happens, that character trait is within you as well. And yeah. because you're scared of it and you don't want to deal with it, you scapegoat them. You make them an ill of society. You gather up a bunch of people and you burn them. <laughs> that's that's exactly what's happening today. It's not different. We're just, you know, they say to to take a man's livelihood is akin to killing him. So is it that different from burning people at the stake these days, the way that we cancel people? And have we really even matured as a society? Or do we just look like we have because our laws are stricter and our surveillance is stricter? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting point because the goal of canceling someone is to cancel them, right? Um, but that's not what really happens here. What you end up happening is creating a war of people who, because there are just as many people who are coming out in support of Joe Rogan as there are people trying to cancel him. So you're awakening the controversy and the, the, the fight. And I think that that's what society today thrives on and human beings thrive on. That's why Twitter is such a 
I hate that platform for this reason is because what it does is it creates that mushroom cloud of noise on both sides. And the only winner is Twitter, right? Uh, as a platform, it's not the people who are taking time away from being productive to emotionally get invested into something that they have no control, no real control over. Um, and it's, it's, it's frustrating too, because it's the least effective way to cancel someone. You know what I mean? It's by, by getting on top and screaming, Hey, cancel them. If you really, I just miss the days that if you didn't like somebody or something, you tune them out, right? Like growing up, write a strongly worded letter to Spotify. Yeah. Or just stop tuning into Joe Rogan. Every time you mention that's too easy of a solution for people. V. <laughs> it's not, but I'm, I'm saying the easiest solution is usually the best solution, yeah. but that's why, you know, that none of this is actually based on trying to make effective change in society. It's just based on continuing the noise yeah, you know, and the echo chamber, because that's what drives clicks and that's what drives traffic, right? Like I sent you an article about this Joe Rogan thing. Uh, last week just pointing out just how bad media is too because the article was saying that more than 19 percent of spotify users will cancel their subscription uh as a result of joe rogan being on the platform but then within the article they get to the the root of it which is this was only a poll of like 400 people it was the question was asked in a very biased way but that's not what they said in the cut headline. They're very crafty in then giving the context and saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll worry about the journalistic credibility after we violate got people to click the article. You know, you know what what's I mean? sad about it too is that you have real ramifications to stock prices, real ramifications to jobs from irresponsible reporting like that. That's what's tough is Spotify is a fucking good company. They do really good work and they've done a great job being a platform, not a publisher. I respect that about them. They haven't gotten involved in all the bullshit that Facebook wants to get involved in and, you know, Instagram and, and, and so on and so forth, Twitter. But at the same time, it's like people's jobs are going to be lost as a result of this. Like, don't we love having our music so easily accessible on our phones? Why would we want to destroy that? And Spotify for me, like, that has the best UX. That's why I use it. I don't want to use Apple Music. I think it sucks. <laughs> well, everybody, that's that's the whole point here. You have choices. If you don't yeah. like Spotify, you have options. You have Tidal. You have Apple. I use Apple Music. I don't use Spotify, you know, because it's easier for how I digest music. To, it's usually one off of my phone. It's not any other experience for me really often. So I use Apple Music. I yeah, if somebody sends me a Spotify link, I'll, I'll listen or I'll view. But I think you bring up a good point. I think where Spotify has gotten itself in trouble, specifically in podcasting, is that it has become a publisher. And so now they're married to their content creator, Joe Rogan. The mistakes he make reflect on the company. And it's a dangerous thing when you have shareholders and you're a public company to do that and put that type of trust and those type of dollars into individuals who's who are flawed right human beings are all flawed we just said it last week too like if you're joe rogan someone offers you a hundred million dollars to do what you're already doing on their platform sure no brainer 
Yeah. But I don't think he had any idea the kind of uh, situation he was going to get himself into. And I wonder if he would have taken the deal if he knew it was going to pan out like this. I highly doubt it, you know, and I think also that's, I think everybody gets trapped in this deal. Musicians, every entertainer gets gets caught up in this. And the ones that I know personally that are the happiest are the people that created their own lane and stayed as as independent as possible because Joe Rogan may not have gotten a hundred million over three years, but he was making more money than he needed as an independent podcaster. Yeah, right? it's true. This was ego, right? And it was, you know, or just, Hey, it sounds good to have a hundred million dollars in my yeah, pocket. Yeah. And to get it. Yeah. It sounds good. Yeah. Um, but that's often what happens when you see large sums of money you don't people don't really see the price it's the same thing when somebody wins a lottery if you look at the story which you know i always bring this story up because it's always relevant is that if you look at the lives of people who win the lottery after they win the lottery most of them <laughs> they're pretty tragic stories you know what i mean um and then also being a being a slave to a master i hate i, I don't even like using those two words um, so I'll, I'll rephrase it um, so I don't get canceled. Um, <laughs> it's 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 akin to having control. It's, when people want to be entrepreneurs and control their own lives, what Joe Rogan did by signing the Spotify deal is sign up to be an employee of someone else. He might have not have thought about that, but the core of why Joe Rogan was successful is because throughout his career in all these fields, he's kind of controlled his narrative and his story. I don't think he, I think he took for granted that by signing up to this deal, not only is it the, the people at Spotify, but the, sh the shareholders, you're obligated to the shareholders. And now you've created a much larger public profile for yourself beyond your core fans. Because when you become the highest paid podcaster, everybody knows who you are now, right? Yeah. When Joe Rogan was an independent podcaster, the people that really tuned into him and heard about him were either coming through referrals or through a very organic means where they wanted to digest the content. Now he's exposed to people who both want to digest his content and who don't want to digest his content. And that's where the problems are coming from, right? And it's 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 a very interesting idea of being a publisher. I want to bring this back full circle for Spotify as well because you can't control the actions of your creators, but you're responsible for them, you know? And what is the solution? And the solution that Spotify took was removing 70 to 100 Joe Rogan episodes. But is that the right solution? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. And I mean, I think that's the thing is like, you know, I still wouldn't call Spotify the publisher here because it's not within the podcast narrative. I think they are publishers now within podcasting. Right. Yeah. I No, I hear the argument. I think if it was under their name, if it was a Spotify podcast, it would be a publisher. But it's Spotify's hosting. They bought exclusivity. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation, but that that being said, I mean, I think it, it gives you the same conversation as if Netflix made a Netflix commissioned show. You know, I, I see the point. But what's interesting to me is that it, the entire thing is a whole lot of ado about, in my opinion, 
very little to your point v because if you don't like what you're listening to just listen to something else yeah we put too much value in controversy these days and what's right and what's wrong and we have to argue about every single person's like way that they live and decide if they're right or wrong and then crucify them if they're if we think they're wrong yeah live 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 your life and determine what's right and wrong for you what's right and wrong for your family and focus on because it's not easy work to work on yourself right like the more you're you're worried about other people the less you can improve yourself yeah. And that's the other thing that people don't. That's the reason that we have such an angry and unhappy society is because everybody is focused on someone or something else and they're not focused on themselves. And even when they do do the f- focusing on themselves by posting selfies, it is to satisfy other people. It's not for self-worth. It's for external worth. And that right there is the crux of why we're deteriorating as a culture and society so deeply and we can't blame the people who are monetizing this it's a they're monetizing it because we want it and i think people have a real problem accepting that that they're monetizing it because this is what we want we want this chaos we want people to hate we want people to cancel if everything was was everyone was a perfect human being capitalism probably wouldn't exist we'd all live in a very happy society right so but that's or it would exist but it would be used differently you know what i mean i that that's what i do that's what i think is interesting about how how our society is constructed here is that it's open enough that the byproducts of how we use the systems we made are really just you know byproducts of who we are and yeah. when we do bad things, yeah, you can blame the system, but you should blame the people first. Yeah, before we even had a system, I mean, this is a human problem. If you yeah. and you look at human history, the the problem with human beings is there's always a certain people who are wired differently, right? That's why you have empires, you have like the desire to conquer and dominate and 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 create these power structures of is is the root of the problem it wouldn't matter it's capitalism is just the latest vehicle or the american vehicle in which human behavior is displayed human behavior doesn't change whether money's there or not it's it's just a matter of now i, I think more than anything society is not is is being catered to by external factors more than anything you yeah. know, there's so much external noise that I honestly envy. I don't envy. I, I, I don't know how, how hard it must be to be a parent into today's societies. If you're trying to instill your own values and your own thoughts into your child, good values, with all the noise and distractions um, that are happening outside, it's very difficult, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is a, it's a time to recognize that we're in an era of you know pretty intense scapegoating. And when all of this is going on, don't watch where all the fingers are pointing. Just focus on your path and take a step forward every day. Do what you need to do for yourself. And yeah. things will pan out very easily. Yeah. And if something truly does bother you, um, take the time to 
digest your thought versus just immediately going on a platform and whatever comes to your mind saying it. Be well thought out. Like you said, if you have an issue, write a letter to Spotify. You know, if you have an issue with Joe Rogan, send him a message that's well thought out versus just emotionally reacting. Emotional reactions never lead to effective change. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's reality. We do have deep rooted issues. We still have issues with race that in this country that we shouldn't have. None of that is untrue, but the answer isn't trying to find individuals who are to blame for it. It is collectively figuring out how do we, how do we solve the macro problem, not the micro problem? Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, remember your life is very much under your control. It uh, is more internal than external. So when you see that chaos, look inside, find the peace within yourself and keep moving forward and your goals will very quickly appear in your hands. 100% and as always, stay moving, be you, you always fly. Pilot Boys out. Once we get on